All right, thank you. Great music this morning to get us ready for God's Word. Take your Bibles, if you will, and open up to John's Gospel, chapter 9, and we'll uh, get to our text there in uh, just a moment. Hey, Ridgecrest, just want to say something to you. I'm so proud of you, so proud to be your pastor. Um, Last Sunday morning on our Prove the Tithe Sunday, you can see the numbers, they're printed in your folder, but you brought in just to the Prove the Tithe portion, not the total offering. The total offering was almost $270,000. You brought in $247,000 to Prove the Tithe, and I just want to say thank you. Yeah, that's... I want to say thank you for that. You always step up. And by the way, you set another record. So I went back and I started looking to see what the largest Prove the Tithe Sunday offerings were. And this one last week exceeded the best we've ever done uh, significantly. We've had some very good ones. So just wanted to say thank you for hearing and, um, and doing that. In fact, I think I'm going to turn every Sunday into Prove the Tithe Sunday. <laughs> Well, thank you. I did want you to know that. I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named Wilbert, Wilbert Williams. Probably you haven't. Most people uh, have not. He's not a famous or rich man, but he received back in 2004 a, an honor from the city of Chicago, and that is they designated a street as Wilbert Williams Way, and the honor was bestowed on him on the occasion of his retirement from his service. Uh, you may say, so what did he do? We don't know who this guy is, and, and uh, um, what caused them to name a street after him? Well, uh, for 40 years, Wilbert Williams worked at the Women's Athletic Club as a doorman in downtown Chicago. Now, normally, uh, honorary street signs go to people who get the door held open for them, but in this case, it was for him who held the door for so many people over 40 years. He would open the door there on the street. And they asked one of the police officers who patrolled that area about Wilbert Williams. And he said, in all these years, I've never heard him speak a harsh word about anyone. He's a true gentleman. And uh, they asked we, uh, Wilbert uh, Williams about this uh, recognition. And he said, well, he said, it was always my joy to help other people as they were looking for directions, trying to find their way down the street. And he said, I just assumed that if I was in a different city, I'd want someone to help me the same way. Well, you know, having a street named after you is pretty impressive. I think we'd all agree with that. But how much greater the honor God promises to give to those who serve him well. He promises to give us an eternal inheritance that will never spoil or never fade away. You know, I want you to do something with me for a second. Everybody, if you will, take and, and put your finger uh, right there. You, you know, take your, your pulse. Everybody, take your pulse. Y'all know how to do that. Don't take your pulse there. Now, take a deep breath. Now, if you were able to do those two things, that means most of you are alive. And I have some good news for you this morning. If you have a pulse and you are breathing, and those two things generally go together, then God's not finished with you. And that means that he expects you to serve him while you still can. And as we think about this new year and this series we're in, uh, uh, all things new in the new year, I want to talk with you th this morning about uh, serving God. 
and serving him, particularly in the new year. If you're physically able to do so, why don't you stand with me this morning as we read our text beginning in verse 1 of chapter 9 of John's Gospel. It says, As he, that is Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, he made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, Father, would you enlighten our eyes, open our eyes, cause the scales to drop from our eyes, and let us see you, the light of the world. And Father, we pray this morning that you will reveal yourself to us through your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit, which we ask you to fall upon our hearts and our minds right now in this moment that we might receive the truth of your word. Father, would you teach us and instruct us? Would you convict us and challenge us? Would you change us and transform us? And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now this is a story of light and darkness. Jesus heals a man, he brings light to the eyes of the blind man, but he also contrasts physical light and spiritual light. It is also an opportunity for Jesus to call us to service, to call us to be spiritual light in this world, in the midst of growing darkness in the midst of a darkness that was coming, Jesus said, and would eventually uh, consume the world that we live in. It is a message to remind us that the age we are living in requires stepped-up responsibilities for the kingdom of God and for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And with that as a background this morning, I, I want to show you three things as to why I believe God put all of us here on this planet. The first thing I want you to observe is from verse 3, and that is that we are created for the works of God. You and I are created for the works of God. Now, we're created to praise Him, but we praise Him through the works that we offer in service to Him. We are not made right by our works, hello, but because we are right with God, then there should be works of service and ministry that result from our relationship with Him. Because He's put us here, He... God didn't create you because he was bored. God didn't say, I think uh, I'll, I'll add another human to the planet. God didn't, that's not how it, you are here because God wanted you here. You are here because you have purpose. You are here in order to carry out the works of God and bring glory to God with your life. And Jesus' statement here when he says that the works of God might be displayed in him, look at that in verse 3, the works of God may, might be displayed in him, points to the man's purpose. You see, the question was asked, who sinned? Did this man sin that he should be born blind? Which is really kind of a, 
uh, weird statement, right? Which would have meant he had to sin before he was born, thus he would be born blind. So did this man sin that he would be born blind? Or did his parents sin? Or are you punishing him because of the sins of his uh, parents? And Jesus answers them this way. He said, this man didn't sin and as a result be born blind. And his parents didn't sin that caused him to be born blind. He didn't say they weren't sinners. He just said, this man is not here because of someone else's sin. What he said was, this man is here that the works of God may be displayed in his life. That's purpose, isn't it? I created him this way so I could bring, uh, I could bring glory to the Father through the healing of his eyes, to giving him his sight. He existed so that God's work could be done. It reminds me of Jeremiah 1, 5, where, the, where, where God says to the prophet, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. That could be said of all of us. Before we were born, God knew us. He already knew us. Uh, the Scripture says that all the days of your life were written down in God's books before you had any one of them. And so God knew us. And he created us then to bring glory to him by his works being manifest through our life. And I want to challenge you to do what you were created to do. That's what this message is really about is while there's still time, you and I have time to do and be and become all that God designed us to be. Now, I appreciate those who serve in so many capacities in our church. We have so many people that serve, and many of them, in fact, most of them are probably behind the scenes. You don't even see them, but there are people behind the scenes working, and they are serving, and I mean it. I, I appreciate them so much. I am so grateful for every one of you that serve in the various capacities, and they're, uh, I, it, I appreciate it so much, but I, I also want you to know that when you serve, you don't serve to do the pastor a favor. When you serve, you are serving to honor God. You're not serving to say, okay, we feel sorry for the pastor. He's begging again. And I have been known to do it. Uh, you, you don't say, well, well, we'll do it because we feel sorry. Listen, we serve not to do the pastor a favor, though you may do the pastor a favor by serving. But we serve to honor God and to bring glory uh, to Him and because you were created for that reason. And that's why if you are not serving, you should be. You should in some way be serving God so that the works of God are displayed in and through you for the glory of God and the glory of His kingdom. You see, the work of the kingdom of God requires your service, and all of us are going to be held accountable for our service. Why? Because we are created. We are created for service. We are created to serve God. And there are a couple things worth remembering, uh, one of which is this. Serving God is not about your platform. Serving God is not about your platform. Oswald Chambers in So Send I You wrote these words. He says, there are no such things as prominent service and obscure service. It's all the same with God. You see, serving God is not about what your platform is. We live in a world that craves platform, don't we? I mean, you know, honor and prestige and platform, all of those things. Listen, 
You, you know, with God, service has nothing to do, because God sees every act of service regardless of the platform. You are responsible for the platform God gives you. It may be with your family. It is certainly among friends and colleagues, and it is uh, in the midst of the family of God. You are responsible to serve, but you're not responsible for the platform nor the size of the platform uh, that, that, uh, 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 that, that you have. You, it's not up to you to create the platform. That comes from God. Does that make sense? Charles Spurgeon one time was asked, it is said that when Spurgeon was in his late teens, 19 and then into his 20s, that he would sometimes preach to audiences of over 10,000 people, absolutely unheard of in that day. Well, it's still pretty unusual, isn't it? And, there were, and he was so young and God was, was uh, using him and and uh, in some, some significant ways. And an old pastor came to him one day and said to him, Dr. Spurgeon, I, I, I just have a question. I'm not, I'm not debating your usefulness to God or that, but it just is unusual to me. For all of these years, many, many years, I've been preaching the same message that you preach, the gospel message. And he says, and yet I have just this small congregation that has never gotten any larger but this small congregation. And, um, and he says, and so I don't understand why a young man like you uh, would have audiences the size that you have. And Spurgeon, in his wisdom, even as a young preacher, said to this man, he says, sir, don't you understand? You're not responsible for how many. You're responsible for what kind. In other words, serve God where you are. Invest in what you have. That's what the message was. And service is not about your platform, not about your platform. What has God, where, where is God? It is about being faithful in the platform God gives you. Then secondly, I would tell you, serving God reflects your priorities. It's not only not about your platform, but it is a reflection of your priorities. When you serve God, you are saying, here's what you're saying when you serve God. There's nothing more important than the things of God. Nothing more important. You know, a couple of years ago, we did this thing. Some of you still wear these. I do. We still have some of these, I think, don't we, Chuck, out at, out at the welcome desk. If you don't have one and you want one, it's a little armband. And, and we did this. I preached a series about this. And then we gave these armbands out. And really, the armbands are for us. They're not for other people. It's to remind us of something. And you, if you've got one, you remember it says, God first. We need to be reminded of that. I got up this morning, put mine on. I don't sleep in it, but I put it on every day and, and just to remind myself, God first. And Matthew 6, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. You know what serving God reflects? It reflects that there's nothing more important than the things of God. God first. So the first thing I want you to get this morning is that you are created to serve God. Okay, here's number two. Secondly, we must also be committed to the task of God. This passage teaches us about commitment to the task of God. Jesus says to them, we must work the works of him. So he says, they say, now why is this man born blind? Well, he was born blind so that, that uh, uh, God could be glorified through his life. That's true for all of us, okay? We were created for the purpose of God, to be displayed in our life. And, 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 and then, but secondly, Jesus says... We have to work the works of him who sent us, or sent me, actually. He says, you've got to do my work. And it's interesting that, that in that 
passage, he uses the word we. He didn't say, I must work. I've heard people quote this and say, remember Jesus said, I must work the works of the Father while there's still time. That's not what he said. He said, we must work the works of the Father. We must work the works of the Father. It is about us. He didn't say, I must work the works. He said, we must work the work. That's the disciples he's talking to, and that's you and me. And here's the point. If we don't commit ourselves to the works of God, there's no one else that will do them. If you and I don't commit ourselves to the kingdom work, nobody else will do it. And to this point, Jesus made a couple of challenging statements to his followers. In John, this same book, chapter 4 and verse 35, Jesus said this, Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, that uh, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Right then, right? He said, you say, well, that, that season, the season of harvest is off in the distance. But Jesus said, aren't you seeing the field? The spiritual field is ripe right now. That's what he was saying. You don't, the harvest season is always active in the kingdom of God. And then he challenged them with another statement in Matthew chapter 9 and verses 37 and 38 when he said to them, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You see, the fact is that the kingdom of God trumps everything. The kingdom of God trumps everything. And that's Jesus' point to them. It's his point to us that, that, that we have to work the works of God. That is why we're here. Our purpose is to do the kingdom work. We have a mission and we have what we call a co-mission. Jesus doesn't send us out alone. A co-mission means that we are sent with him. We see that, the great co-mission in Matthew's gospel. We have a mission. We have a co-mission. And it's not somebody else's responsibility. It is our responsibility. And to neglect the very clear assignment that we have been given is equal to mission failure. If we don't step up to serve God and the kingdom for the purpose that we've been placed on this planet, it is mission failure. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes and says this, This is how one should regard us. Listen, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. He said, Paul writes and says, now this is, this is how people should look at us and consider us as stewards. Now we, again, we sometimes think that stewardship is all about what we did last week, but stewardship is far beyond uh, just giving of our resources. It is giving of our lives. It is giving ourselves in service. And he said, that's how people should think of us, that we are stewards. And notice what he says of the mysteries of God. What is that? The mysteries of God are the gospel, the gospel that Jesus would love us and leave the throne of God and come into this world and hang on the cross for our sins when, when we deserve to be there. He did not. It's a mysterious thing that he would love us that way. And we are stewards of it. Stewards mean that we serve to distribute this message. We, we have a message that the world needs. We have a message that our community needs. We have a message that our families need. We have a message that the people that we work with need. We have a message that our community needs. We have been entrusted this. We are stewards. And that's why we must be committed to the task of God. A couple of things about being committed to 
to that kind of service. You see, serving God, first of all, is the normal Christian life. Now, don't miss this. Serving God is the normal Christian life. If you are not serving, and I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but if you are not serving God with your life, you are living an abnormal Christian life. Vance Havner used to say this. He used to say, most Christians live such subnormal lives that if they ever lived the normal Christian life, most people would think they were abnormal. But the normal Christian life is that you and I were created to serve. To not serve God with your life is abnormal. Committed service to God's work should never be viewed as the exception in the Christian life. It is the norm. It is the normal Christian life. Serving God, then, is the normal Christian life. The second thing I would uh, 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 share with you is that serving God is about stewardship. There it is. Again, the verses that we just read. You belong to God. Your life is a trust from Him. By the way, if you belong to God. You were bought with a price, Paul writes, therefore glorify God with your body. In whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all, how class? To the glory of God. You are not your own, Paul writes. And therefore, what you have been, your life that has been entrusted to you means that you are a steward of your life. You were put here to serve God. And therefore, committed service to God is the supreme act of stewardship. It's the supreme act. That's why Paul also writes and says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. It is the supreme act of stewardship to serve Him. The works of the kingdom of God require all hands on deck. All hands on deck. Let me personalize this for us for a moment uh, here at Ridgecrest. Uh, did you know for us to do the work that God has entrusted to us, uh, which is a great privilege, for us to do what God has entrusted to us just through Ridgecrest, do you know it takes several hundreds of people to do that? I, I, several hundreds of people. Just, just filling all of those kinds of ministry uh, uh, places and slots and opportunities of service. At one point in time, some years ago, we did a, 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 a rough kind of, of survey of that and found out that we had close to 700 people if all and every place of service were filled in order to do the work that God has given us. Let me give you an example. Right now, there are people praying for us in this service. While we're here, there are people praying for us in another room just off the sanctuary, and I thank God for them. They do that every week. Not the same people. There's a rotation, but so that we don't burn people out. It takes more than 120 people just to fill those prayer slots for us every week. So there's a team back there praying right now. That includes deacons, by the way. Uh, and then in the next service, there will be another crowd back there that will be praying uh, during uh, this time. I, um, I saw somebody earlier, and I said, where are you going? They said, prayer, it's our prayer Sunday. And so they're back there praying. I thank God uh, for that. Uh, lots of people. There, while we are in here, there are people rocking babies and uh, praying that I will finish soon. 
But they are people rocking babies, and they rotate, and it takes an enormous amount of baby rockers in this church. Did you know that? And they do it so people can be in here, so, so parents can be and get worship. And then some of those parents will go on another week, and they'll do it. And it take, there are people behind the scenes right now so we can be in here uh, worshiping. Um, there are people this morning that have been driving around in golf court, carts, um, picking people up and shuttling people. There are uh, people that are acting and have acted as greeters and will continue to do that for uh, the service to come. There are ushers, there are teachers, there are coffee people. If you go to the coffee bar, we staff that with people that are there to, to provide things like coffee. Coffee is ministry. Baby rocking is ministry. Ushers are ministry. Teachers are ministry. Golf carts are ministry. There, you, you've seen the orchestra and the choir, uh, the praise team, uh, the social media behind the scenes. There's social media interaction going on with people that are joining us by live stream. There are sound technicians. There are television teams. Uh, and there are volunteers for uh, things that I haven't even listed Incredible. And it's a privilege, whatever the role is. And God sees all of the roles. Now, you and I only see some of the roles, right? But God sees all of the roles. And all of them are important. And all of them are necessary for us to be good stewards of the ministry God has entrusted to us. And that's why today, and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to ask you to take serious this matter of serving in the work that God has given to us here, and in particular in the coming year, in the new year. For some of you, serving God in some capacity or some role, it may be a new thing altogether. And we'll help you and find an area that you can serve in. And for others, it may be time for you to say, I need to serve again. For some of you, you might could do more. All right? You don't say, well, I, other people should do it. Uh, uh, l listen, it don't, or, or this, I've heard this one. Well, I've, you know, I've done my time. Don't tell God that. Don't say, God, you know I did my time. I, you know, I think that's probably very displeasing to God. Because what you're saying is, this is all you can have. Now, I'm not asking you to, look, look, I'm not asking you to burn yourself out. Uh, uh, but I want to tell you something most of us don't struggle with that because if we did, we'd give up some of the other things out there that we don't mind allowing to consume our time. And so, so what I want you to do is to consider where would God have me to serve? And for the next couple of three weeks, we're going to be asking you to do that. You're going to see things around the campus. You'll see a little book like this. It's called Connect and Serve. And uh, you've got an insert in your worship folder, and you've heard RBC3 talking to you and explaining to you these uh, uh, ping-pong balls. I've got them with me. I was afraid to sit them up here. I was afraid they'd start rolling off. But uh, we've got a blue one and a white one, and there are baskets of these out. There's a wall called Connect and Serve out in the, the uh, Welcome Center. And I hope uh, if you're serving, we want you to, if you're already serving in uh, some capacity, some role, go by, get a white ping-pong ball, and drop it. You'll see where to drop it. You drop it in there, okay? If you are not, and you're, you're going to begin serving in an area, there are tables there with cards. There are cards for all the various ministries. 
And you can look, there's age group stuff. If you want to do something or work in some kind of uh, a small group uh, capacity, and, uh, and there are a lot of things that you do in there. It's not just teach, but there are cards. And on the cards, for example, this is just a sample. This is through media ministry. And uh, the media ministry has gotten very specific. They need two soundboard operators for the blended service, two soundboard operators for the contemporary service. And so they list uh, the needs that they actually have there. You can pick up the card on the back. You can fill it out. You can turn it in there. And if you do, and that's a new thing for you, get a blue ball and go drop the blue ball in, okay? And there are cards for all the different ministries. You'll see all kinds of cards out there. They're all different. Don't think, oh, look, at they've just spaced all the cards. They're all different. So you can find a place, and we'll help you. Again, there will be people at those tables to help you with that. And I hope you'll take that serious. If you say, well, I already dropped a white ball in because I'm already serving, but I'm also going to start serving in this capacity, then get a blue ball and drop it in with your white ball. All right? Are y'all confused? <laughs> We'll be out there to help you, okay? But it's a way for us uh, to, to say, hey, look, look how we're serving. There's something visual about visuals, aren't there, that help us. And you be a part of that and show how many people are involved in this and, and, and get involved. And if you wonder, you say, well, I don't even know where to begin. This book is a catalog of areas to serve in. And it lists all kinds of areas in there. And you get that. And if you do smartphone, there's a QR code. You can scan that QR code. But this is what will help you discover perhaps the place that God wants you to be serving. So I hope that you'll take that very, uh, very seriously. And that you will, in the new year, say, I can serve. I'm going to serve. I'll find a place to serve. We were created to serve, weren't we? And we must be committed to serve. And then last, number three, we must be conscious of the timing of God. Verse four, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. That's about timing. Each of us, by the way, has a span of time that has been given to us, granted to us by God, appointed to us, and that gives us two things. It gives us assurance and it gives us a sense of urgency. It gives us assurance that we can serve God effectively because here's what you know. If God has given us so much time, that means he knows how much time you and I need to live out the purpose for which he created us. So you have enough God-appointed, God-anointed time in, in, in your existence, to be able to stand before God one day and say, God, I completed the work that you gave me. And here, well done, good and faithful servant. So it's important for us to understand that, that because the time, uh, there is limited time, we have the assurance we've got all the time we need, but there's also urgency to it. Because we can squander the time God has allotted to us. And so there is a, an urgency to it, and there's an urgency because the, the night is closing in. Would you agree with that? And so we have to be conscious of God's time. And so when Jesus makes this statement, while it is day, that statement indicates two things. It indicates to us that there is a set amount of time 
in which the work of God can be done. There is a set amount of time in which it can be done. Did you know the Bible says that he has fixed the times and the seasons? There is a set amount of time. You and I don't know. We say, well, Christ is going to return. And that should produce urgency in us because he is going to return. We see the indicators of that all around. We don't know when that is. We don't know days or hours, but we know seasons. And the season looks dark, doesn't it? The season, the signs uh, indicate that we are in the end of the last days. And because that's true, we have to live with a sense of urgency, a great sense of urgency, so that we can accomplish the, the task that God has given to us, the mission and the ministry that God has given, and so that your life can fulfill the mission that God has uh, uh, designed you for. And you have enough time. But there is, and that's the second uh, thing I would say, there's a limited amount of time in each of our individual lives. There's urgency, but there's limitation, and that produces that kind of urgency. Because you see, there is a time coming when there will be the cessation of God's work. That's what Jesus said. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man, none of us, will be able to work and carry on the mission. And so there's, there's coming a day when the, there will be the cessation of work, uh, that when opportunities to serve will cease, when the use of our gifts from God, these allotted gifts, uh, will come to a close, the duration of their exercise will be withdrawn. That's what Jesus says. There's a time coming when you won't be able to serve like you can serve Him now. And Jesus called their attention to the darkness, the darkness that was coming, the night that was coming, and the difficulty that would be associated with serving God in the midst of that kind of darkness. Friend, I want to tell you something. It's dusk. It's dusk. We're getting there. I don't know if you've seen or read about the Grammy Awards this past week. Satan was literally worshipped on stage. He was affirmed and he was celebrated. Now, I didn't watch it and I hope you didn't either. But I have reviewed a clip of the matter. And Kim Petrus, a man who identifies as a woman, and Sam Smith won a Grammy as the year's best pop duo for their song, Unholy. And then, after their award, they performed it on stage. This is how Variety magazine described the performance. Full of Satan, cages, and whips, along with flames, and with singers and dancers acting in service and worship to Satan. And listen to this. CBS even tweeted out this statement just prior to this, this performance. Quote, CBS, we are ready for worship. <clears throat> Dear friends, it's dusk. It's dusk and getting darker. John Stone Street, commenting on this display, said more importantly, rather than merely uh, shock with a new display of creepiness. The unholy song performance 
mark the place where we've already been for some time. My friend, I say to you, we've never seen anything quite like this. And the darkness that is descending on this world is particularly dark. And that's why you and I must serve while we still can. The age is racing to its conclusion. But until then, you and I must be light. Until then, we are responsible to serve while we still can to display the light of God. Herb Turetsky attended the first New Jersey Americans ABA basketball game. Some of you may remember the ABA, the American Basketball Association. And he attended the first New Jersey Americans game. It was in October of 1967, and he went just expecting to be a spectator. But Turetsky, a student at Long Island University at the time in Brooklyn, arrived early at the Teaneck Armory. That's where the game was to be played. And Max uh, Zalofsky, the, the head coach of the New Jersey Americans and the general manager who had attended high school with Turetsky, saw him when he walked in and came over to him and the coach said, Hey, Herb, can you help us out tonight? Can you keep the score of the game for us? Tereski responded and said, sure, I'd love to. I'm here, why not? He sat down at a wooden folding chair at half court and he began to jot down the lineups. That was more than 2,000 games and 55 years ago. And since then, the team has moved to three different cities, played in eight arenas, and been absorbed into the NBA. And Tereski continued sitting in that wooden chair keeping score until he passed away last year at the age of 76. And prior to that, he made this statement. He said, I've never left that seat since I began, and I'm still here, and I'm still going. NBA official Bob Delaney calls him the Michael Jordan of scorekeepers. And an article in Sports Illustrated referred to him as the courtside constant. It said one simple yes led to a meaningful life of lifelong service. One simple yes, lifelong service. You know, like Herb, you've been called to lifelong service to God. And it begins with the same simple response. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, I'll serve. Where? Wherever. I'll serve. Where you start serving might not be where you end up serving. I've had people say this to me over the years, and they'd say, well, pastor, as soon as I discover where I should serve, then I'll start serving, and that's a backward approach. Go ahead and start serving. God will help you find the right place. But if you keep waiting to serve, the devil will make sure you never discover where you ought to serve. Start serving. Yes, Lord. Yes. <clears throat> uh, almost six decades ago, well, now five decades ago, a teenage boy 
responded to the ministry. <clears throat> I thought I knew what God wanted me to do, and some years later, I said this to a friend. One thing I know is I'll never pastor. I said, I don't want to do it. I'll never do that. To this day, I saw him just two weeks ago. He's an attorney in Florida. He still harasses me about that. So how's that pastor thing going? Smart aleck. But you know, today I can't imagine not doing it. But I didn't start here. I started as a teenager when I was called to ministry in a little rural church, and I told them, if, if you need me to do something up here, I'll clean the bathrooms. I mean it. I just, I just want to be in God's house. I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord of the Lord, David said. Look, where you start may not be where you finish, but start serving him. What about Isaiah the prophet? What if Isaiah the prophet walked in here today and said, I'm going to talk to you about this matter of service. What might he say? Well, he might say this. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, Lord, send me. Maybe, maybe the psalmist, maybe David, if he walked into this place today and said, I want to talk to you for just a little bit about serving the kingdom of God. What, he might, what, what might he say? might go like this. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people. We are the sheep of His pasture. That may be what David would say to us. Or what if Paul walked in this morning? What would Paul say to us about this matter of serving God? Because, because he knows a little bit about that. He might say this, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor always serving the Lord. Or what about Jesus? What if Jesus walked in this morning and said, I want to talk to you, Ridgecrest, just a minute about serving God. He might say this. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Come to think of it, that is what every one of them said. And that's just part of it. Are you serving God? <clears throat> you were put here to glorify Him. And part of glorifying Him is through serving Him. Now, to serve Him, let me tell you what helps. Knowing Him. You know, it just helps to know Him. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, you need to meet Him, and then you will be in the service of the army of the Lord. And you can meet Him. If you're watching by live stream or television, 
You can trust him today right where you are in this place, right where you are. You can call on him. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord might be saved. You know your Bible? It's not what it says. It says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So right now, you can receive him as your Savior. And I want to give you that opportunity. Would you bow your head, close your eyes, no one's looking about. You can call on him. Say something like this, sincerely in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming into this world and dying on the cross for my sins. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't save myself. And so I invite you to come in and forgive me and be my Savior. Thank you for hearing my prayer and one day giving me a home with you in heaven. Now, if you called on him in that manner, you can be certain that he heard. I want to invite you to follow the instructions. If you're watching by television on the screen, it'll tell you what to do next. And if you're here in this place and you prayed that prayer, in just a moment, I'm going to step down front and I invite you. We call it an invitation to slip out from where you are. There's nothing magical about walking down the aisle that will cause that prayer to be effective. Just calling on him makes it effective. But there are next steps that you ought to take, and we can help you that, with that. We want to help you with that. And so I invite you, when we stand, to slip out from where you're seated in the balcony or ground floor to come down, find one of our staff. Staff will be on the aisles. Would you come down and say, hey, today I prayed that prayer. I invited Christ in my heart. What do I do next? We're not going to embarrass you. It's not going to be uh, something embarrassing. Not at all. Maybe you're here this morning and say, I have done that. I need a church home or family to belong to. And today, I want to join Ridgecrest. People have already done it this week. And maybe, maybe that's what you need to do. You need to come and say, Pastor, I want to join Ridgecrest. Yeah, you can take care of that. There's a tear-off panel. You can complete that. Drop that in the offering baskets or take it to the Welcome Center. We'll help you there too. But there's still something powerful about a public commitment to Christ to his people, to his church. You say, why do you ask people to join the church? I come, I'm faithful, I give, all of those kinds of things. Well, here's why. Because when you come and connect with us, you're making a commitment not just to us, but you're making a commitment to the mission. And then we know who we can count on, and you know who we are, and you know who's got your back, and all of those things. That's a part of making that connection. Maybe you're here this morning. You just want to come and pray around the altar. I invite you to do that. Talk to the Lord. Maybe you're praying about something or for someone. Whatever it may be, come and kneel before him. There's still power in prayer. There's power in a bent knee before God. And I invite you to come and talk to him about whatever it may be. Maybe something going on in your own life, but whatever it may be. Maybe God's been speaking to you about serving him in some way. and Whatever it may be, just a moment when we stand. Don't wait for others. The devil will whisper in your ear and say, well, if somebody else goes, you go. You lead the way. You go. Whatever decision it is, quit worrying about people around you. You listen to the Spirit's voice pulling, tugging at you. And by the way, that the, the, the devil will never tug at you to make a decision for God. So that tug is the Spirit of God. Father, would you hear us now? 
we come in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you ready? Stand with me. Come on, right now. The choir leads us. You step out.